welcome back to the 16 Millimeter Film Group Podcast. I'm Cindy. I'm Jermaine, a.k.a. The Other Guy. Take it how you leave it. I'm Dale. They're getting good, man. They're getting good. They're getting a lot better. I like it. <laughs> okay. corny. Yeah. So you guys can watch us on YouTube. You can like our videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify at 16mm Film Group Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Film Podcast and on Instagram at 16mm. Okay, so we're talking about the Umbrella Academy season two this week. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> You're just gonna avoid the conversation entirely. I mean, what? <laughs> There was silence, you know. I'm, I'm trying to be conscious of our listeners. You guys got this. No, go ahead. Take it away. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, um, they're called the Umbrella Academy because it was always raining where they were at. So they had to learn how to use umbrellas to keep the rain off of their bodies. And that's the summary of the seasons. Yeah, but that's not right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll bring it back in. Um, the Umbrella Academy is basically about um, 36 children being born on the same day and uh, a lavish um, billionaire guy comes and adopts seven of the children as many as he could and he raises them for his own purpose. Um, so you have the seven people in the academy, and they all have very distinct personalities. And I feel like that's one of the strengths of the show because you get so many different views of the same situation. You have seven eyes to look through uh, the same situation that they're trying to solve, which is the impending doom and um, apocalypse of the planet Earth. So, uh, you've got anything to add, Dale? Because uh, <laughs> I should have listed all of the kids, their names, and their talents, mm-hmm. but I did not. So. Um, okay, so The Umbrella Academy, um, this is currently season two airing on Netflix right now, is adapted from a comic book, if you didn't know, by the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Um, this current season on Netflix is being is adapted from the the Dallas series of the comic books, where, as Jermaine said, they're escaping the issues of the apocalypse in the first season and dealing with the repercussions of being sent to 1960s Dallas during the time of JFK's assassination. So a lot of characters are dealing with the issues of back then. Um, the character played by Ellen Page, she's, she's dealing with homosexuality and those things. Um, Klaus has now become a cult leader. Um, him and Ben are still trying to solve the issues. Luther is now working for a mafia boss. Um, Allison is now working as a civil rights activist. And Diego is in a mental asylum. So, and of course, Five shows up late <laughs> to meet them all to <laughs> save them of the impending doom of the apocalypse. So, yes, this is a review of the second season. 
shall we say that? Or is it an overview of the whole thing? It could be a second, a second season. Okay, so if you haven't seen the first season, catch up. <laughs> so I think what I liked about this second season is that it follows some of the same themes of the first season. How the, um, all of the children are kind of, they have their own uh, egos and they, they want to stay separate. They fight with each other. But in the end, they come together to uh, when they actually need to come together and do the work. Uh, my favorite, I, I can't, I can't help it. I think my favorite one is five and his ability is basically he can jump through time. So what happened with five in the first season was that he jumped into the future and got stuck there by accident. So we have basically a teenage uh, boy playing a teenage boy that he's like a 50 year old man in a teenage boy's body. And he always tries to bring the group together and he's very logical and to, to um, the book with things. And I feel like that's a very good balance, especially with the wide variety of uh, characters that are in this um, series. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I'm kind of amazed every time I watch um, this, the young man who plays Fias act, because I think up to now, this is really his only second gig. Before that, he was on Nickelodeon on some show called um, Nikki, John, and something. I don't know. It's a children's show with four kids. So to see him jump at that age of like being a teenager and still developing as an actor to go from teen kitty comedy, or not even kid, but like little kid comedy, into something more adult, dealing with a lot of violence, and him having to play like a 50-year-old man um, lends to his abilities as an actor to nail those periods of dry wit. Um, as far as the other characters, I mean, I like that uh, they play up Diego's like Batman hero fascination, where all he can throw is knives still, and in this, at the end of the season, you expand upon his powers, realizing he's a telekinetic who could actually control a lot more than just knives, but he refuses to expand his capabilities. Um, I do, it's like the character who had the most growth to me in this series would be Allison, in her attempt mm. to restrict herself from using her Roman powers to get what she wants. She's become more engaged and more aware. And especially, I think the season matters more to her character in a, in a way, seeing as she's dropped in the middle of 1960s Dallas, you know, at the height of the civil rights period. And she's galvanized into action. Um, I will say it's per usual. Um, Robert Sheehan is my favorite character in the show as Klaus. I think the casting of him as Klaus has always been spot on. It reminds me of his character from Nathan from Misfits. And you kind of do see those smidges of... I think it's easy for him to play Klaus and Nathan because if you watch his interviews or whatever, that's his personality. So I do think that's spot on casting. Um, I'm happy that they did, you know, in, in Boo more into Ellen Page's character of Vanya with her sexuality. It's it's important to expand upon those topics. My favorite thing overall with this season, though, was the color palette. It okay. being that 
60s, 70s. I love those oranges, those yellows and stuff like that. I thought that, you know, that stylistic choice was was perfect. It definitely was. It told the story of where they were, especially the the set. Although I feel like it was like just a built set that they rotated around. It still was really um, pretty time accurate. Um, as far as Ellen Page goes, man, I like her powers and her her development, but her um, acting on a whole is just falls flat to me. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's an issue there because she's the highest paid actor on the cast. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure. This this show is actually scheduled to do eight seasons, and um, uh, I'm not sure because, uh, like I said, this is a comic book. Um, right. He's only did one other series after this. The mm-hmm. fourth part of the comic book hasn't even been written yet. All people know about is the title. So I guess this is going to become one of those things where, as the show moves on and it catches up to the comic book, where elements from the show into the comic book, kind of like the same thing that happened with um, Scott Pilgrim, how elements of the movie blend into the, the, car, the comic book as it completed its run. I see. So. Well, I'm looking forward to that. This is a pretty good series, and um, I feel like they, they keep it fresh even though their um, they're, they're basic uh, chemistry with the show is the same. Um. I heard that this show came out with at the same time that Game Show did. Um, is there any what are the similarities that you can see or is there any similarities similarities between this show and Game Show? Could you repeat that? Okay. I couldn't really hear it. You're kinda low. I am kinda low. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes. Hello. <laughs> am I just talking low or am I low? Now you're fine. Now oh, you're yeah, okay. Um, I was saying I was talking about Doom Patrol, and I was saying, are there any similarities between that show and this show? Um, um like the quirky campiness of it, or is it like different? There, there are similarities. Both those shows are kind of, I think, in the same vein. Um, you're dealing with a, a wider way of characters with different. You know, superpower abilities, different personality types. Um, there, I think there there are two concepts that can exist and tell two drastically different stories and still be fine. Um, the whereas the selling point of Doom Patrol is majority of the characters aren't human anymore. So that as another element to it, well, as this show, the only person who's not human really is Luther, but he can kind of still hide it in a way, whereas though Doom Patrol, you kind of really can't. But all, all, I mean, they're, they can, they're, um, I don't see them being one, like, one better than the other. They're both, like, 1A, 1B. Whatever tickles your fancy, you can, you can go for whatever. Um, as far as my thoughts on this season, though, um, the reveal of the Doctor about his actual origin, I was not expecting yet at all. Um, I am curious to what they do with um, Lydia's character going forward. 
now that they've jumped into an alternate timeline where Ben is actually alive and the leader of the team, and their father is somehow alive and was prepared to meet them. So we'll see how that goes. And I guess that ending is kind of why he kind of decided to title the fourth part of the comic book, which was written, uh, Sparrow Academy. So it, you can kind of see now like, those seeds are kind of intermingling with each other. So, yeah. Sweet, man. I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Especially to see the origin and how that plays in with him being prepared for them coming back for um, from the past. And he was actually expecting them to show up in um, in his house. Especially, and I also liked how Ben had the uh, a bigger role this season. Mm-hmm. So we actually learn who he is, his character, and why he was so uh, missed when he was uh, deceased. And why Klaus can't let go of him, too. So, I'm looking forward to more seasons of the Umbrella Academy. I know I always keep one around when it rains. <laughs> okay, so what are you waiting this season? Jermaine, you want to go ahead first? I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Um, and I do that because there was a dance sequence in it. There was a dance sequence in the first season, but I did not mind that one as much. This one was a little annoying and kind of long. I'm also giving it an 8 out of 10. I did like the focus more so on um, Diego and Ben this season. We didn't really get that from the last season. And also Allison as well. Those three characters had a broader impact, whereas the first season was more so Luther, Five, and um, Vanya, with a, bit of, with a bit of Klaus in between. So I think it's a good juggling out they've done with each season. They've given other characters their own arcs to grow and stuff. Um... Yeah, I'm nine out of ten for me. Okay, great. Um, and we're moving on to the news. The I'm, news. I'm just gonna say the the trailer for I think was it Judas and the what was it the Fire? Mm-hmm. With um Daniel Kaluuya and um Lakeith Stanfield. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait for this movie. Daniel Kaluuya is something serious. Like, that's all I'm going to say. Like, if you haven't watched the trailer yet, go watch the trailer. To have those two guys in your movie, I'm like... Yeah, so, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that. Like, <laughs> I don't... I want to know how they're going to distribute it because, you know, with theaters being out, I, that's my biggest concern still, no matter what. So, yeah. Um... Other than that, other movie news. Um, apparently Disney said, "Hey, that Mulan movie that was supposed to been out, we're gonna put it on Disney Plus, and you're gonna we're gonna charge you thirty dollars to watch it." I don't know who decided that was a smart idea to charge people who are already paying for a streaming service, and after thirty dollars to pay for a movie that, let's be honest, nobody really wanted because Disney's track record with these live action remakes of their animated adaptions have not been good. I think well, Aladdin's probably the 
a lot of in Jungle Book are the only successful two so far. So. And you don't even own it. You're only yeah. you're thirty dollars to rent it. Yeah. So. Like, <laughs> we'll we'll see. You could have watched it twice in the movie theaters. Twice could have watched it. What? That much to rent a movie on a streaming service you're already paying for? Get the f out of here. Ridiculous. Yeah, almost feel like um, they're trying to bank on the fact that a lot of people were going to go see it just because it was a remake. So you get the younger crowd and the older generation, but it's not going to work if it's on a streaming platform. I think they were banking on because the one movie that kind of really flipped Hollywood on its head with these streaming, which right now was Trolls, because apparently it did record numbers. With it, the only difference was Troll was um, Trolls wasn't done by one of the studios that have a streaming platform, so it had to be sold or distributed to, to another platform. The issue one is this: the company that produced it owns owns a streaming platform, so that's kind of really counterintuitive. Like, why am I paying what ten dollars a month to rent, pay thirty dollars for a movie? It the math doesn't work out. It doesn't. Um, is being tapped to direct. He's the director of The, uh, the Lion. Um, Jared Leto will be involved in it. Um, he's, Jared Leto is also going to produce the film alongside Joseph Springer and, and Emma Ludbrook. Uh, Jesse Wigto, um, he wrote the most recent script for the movie, uh, which follows the original Tron and the sequel Legacy. They're not sure if it's going to follow that train of thought. Um, and it's in development at Disney. Um, and I'm on a kind of themed, well, not a theme note. Um, have you guys, did you guys watch Saved by the Bell at all growing up? The what? Saved by the Bell. I watched it on Rewind. You watched it on Rewinds? Well, apparently, the latest trailer has dropped for it on Peacock, featuring the original cast. Um, the bat that synopsis of the show is it's going to feature a new group of Bayside students from a mix of privileged and working-class families. Um, the privileged kids were transferred to Bayside as part of now California Governor Zach Morris, Morris's to due to budgetary constraints closed down some schools and sent students to different schools. Um, so uh, Zach is back as governor. His kid is his son is one of the students. Um, Slater is going to be a gym teacher in the show. Kelly is going to be, of course, Zach's wife. Um, Jesse Spano um, is involved is returning to the show as well. The only people in the original cast who aren't going to be there are Screech, Lisa Turtle. And the original Mr. Bell and Mr. Bell. So, but you know, four out of the 
four of the originals. You know, hopefully they cash in on nostalgia a bit. Um, and in light of, you know, this political upheaval we are dealing with in this country, um, two years ago, ABC decided to shelve an episode of Blacklish, a Blackish, because it was, I guess, too political. Um, um, but now it's going to be released on Hulu after two years. Um, um, backstory is from Kenya, Kenya Barris. He said on November, on November 2017, we made an episode of Blackish entitled Please, Baby, Please. Um, he explained that at the time we were one year post election and we had one year left. Um, and he said, like Mer- many Americans, they're grappling with the country and anxious about the future. But due to, um, I guess, creative issues between Disney, not Disney, but ABC and Blackish team, they decided to shelve the episode. Um, but now it's being able to be seen by light um, on Hulu. Um, in recent Hollywood news, for the last couple of days, uh, Warner Media has been in a bunch of layoffs. Um, they've just released um, key key um, executives: um, Jeffrey Salinger, Ron Harris, and Kim Williams. This they've had a new CEO named by Jason uh, Kylar. They've um, fired the original CEO, um, Robert Greenslack. They've released Kevin Riley. They've reached Kevin Costa. They've they've basically gotten rid of a lot of the upper management people. So we'll see how that goes with them. Um, so yeah, hopefully everything works out at Warner because that's a lot of to basically clear house of your upper management. Seem that there's some kind of issues going on internally with the company. So hopefully everything works out with them. Well, there's something that I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not like a topic of discussion, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on about it. Um, Billy Kravitz show High Fidelity got canceled on Hulu and mm-hmm. he called out the platform for their lack of diversity in programming. And I'm wondering, like, was that the reason that they canceled the show, or was it just because the show wasn't performing good? And then, like, how do you know what the real reasons are behind these decisions? I mean, and place like, you know, I I think streaming platforms kind of operate on the same thing as like um YouTube, like they know who's clicking and watching for a certain amount of times these shows. Um, you watched High Fidelity. How did you enjoy it? I watched one episode of it, and I was mm. like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. I, but so, I don't know what the rest of the season looks like. I just watched the first episode. So I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I personally was not aware when the show first came up of it being a thing until scrolling through Hulu. I was like, oh, High Fidelity, is this the movie? No, it's a Zoe Kravitz show. Um, I do think Hulu does have an issue with marketing their content. They're good at marketing all the old shows that they can put on there. The only recent thing that I've seen marketed on Hulu is this um, the new Seth Grogan movie. I think American um, Pickle or Picker. Yeah. I'm getting the title wrong. But that's one of the only few things that I've seen advertised of Hulu. 
Um, I think Hulu and ABC as a whole just accepts that is ABC property, ABC stuff's going to be on there, and maybe some other third-party stuff's going to be on there, and they're not really monetizing or advertising even the whole original content properly, which is something I think um, Netflix does amazingly well. When a new Netflix original is going to be on, you know about it more so than you know about the, the acquisition of, like, friends or whatever. They treat them with the same respect and usually more for the originals because... I think Netflix is looking for that next big, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, that million-dollar franchise that they can bank on. And Hulu, to me, is not really thinking like that. They're just, especially now with Disney+, Plus, it's not really the focus. Like, Disney+, Plus, like, oh, people are going to watch these movies, it's fine. Hulu's kind of like, oh, that season of the show you wanted to watch is done airing. You can watch it again on Hulu. You know, it's like the stepchild in a way. <laughs> So. Um, okay, I'll get on there. <laughs> the show wasn't great, but I also don't know of any shows that were led that are led by black people that's like mm-hmm. a true original. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, I was probably have a point, but how do you I have a question for you then? And how do you feel on um, the recent news of um um, John David Washington, of course, Denzel's son, mm-hmm. um, is out about him saying he refused to let people know he was Denzel's son. He would say either his dad's or his dad was in jail or his dad was in the hospital or some weird thing. How do you, what were you, what was, what do you guys think of that? I understand why he said that because he, mm. he was like, I think he wanted to get into the business on his own merit. And for people to know that your family, I mean, even minor celebrities, like if you've watched um, Four Weddings and a Funeral, the girl in that, Andy, Andy McDowell, I think her name is, her daughter is Margaret Quayley, who was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and stuff like that. So, like, those people are getting roles, those children of celebrities, you're getting your foot in the door, even if you're not even that good. I'm not saying that Margaret Quayley isn't good, I'm just saying, like, a lot of celebrities have been able to, like, get their foot, like, their children of celebrities have been able to, you know, advance quickly in the business because of who their parents are. And he probably didn't want that privilege. probably wanted to earn it. Mm. So I get it. kind of wish he didn't use those examples of, like, who his father was. Yeah. <laughs> I wish those that are, those, are, <laughs> those are really stereotypical Black responses. Yeah, like, I mean... Don't do that. Like, it's, you know weird but i understand like i get it it's not a new thing to me because i know um if you were uh, if you ever watched your mighty ducks um the guy who plays bombay his dad is he's a sheen charlie's his brother martin she's his father he just chose to use his mother's name while they're acting and charlie went other yeah s of s i mean s of s yeah his dad is uh, Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. You have no Nicholas Cage, who's a Coppola, who Are refused. You Wait, yeah. actually, I did know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Nicholas okay. Cage is a Coppola. He refused to do the same thing too. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, like um, you've uh, okay. I know you're younger than us, so you probably watched Unfabulous. I think it's on Disney or Nickelodeon at one point. I think he was Emma Robert. 
Emma Roberts is Julia like Roberts' niece. That young? That's yeah, but she's like. she's we. I didn't watch it. That's what I'm saying. That's Julia Roberts. But it's not a yeah yeah. So it's not like a new thing of celebrities kind of hiding their connections. Some use it to their advantage, and some some don't. I I do respect his decision to not reveal that Denzel's his father, because mm-hmm. to get to where he is on his own merit, he wants to actually prove his talent. Where some people just coast on their family name, you know, mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage and coast on the family name. He just coasts on the fact his name is Nicholas Cage now. But <laughs> you know, so whatever works for you works for you. So, although when I saw him acting, it was kind of blatantly obvious that he was Denzel's son. Hmm. They just sound and look alike, and their um, mannerisms are very similar. Is it weird that I don't see any similarities? I, I, I don't. Because of his I mean, like, I'm sure they look alike, but like in their acting styles and stuff, it does not seem the same at all to me. Maybe I'm missing something. So all of those little things that he does, the little pauses, the way he speaks, the... Um, it's just like when he belts out like a, a sentence, the, it all kind of comes out as one, just kind of like how Denzel's sentence structure comes out. I mean, I, that, maybe it's just me. Those but, are yeah. those are things you can't get rid of knowing, like, because it's naturally ingrained being your parents. Like, there are things that your parents do that you naturally do and you don't realize it and you can't really change it. Right. Um. So I don't know. I've I've probably seen more of Denzel's work than his son's work, so I can't really say. Um, I think his mom did like Broadway and theater and stuff too as well. So he's been around actors and thespians his whole life. So maybe he's got that that dual yeah. thing going for him. When I see him perform, it's like, or when I saw when I watched Black Klansman. When I think of Denzel, you know, you think of Denzel as, like, the leading action man who's always smarter than everyone else in the room, who's always, like, wittier and quippier. And I just did not see that when I watched that movie. Like, when I saw John David, like, he seemed much more, um, like, introspective and, like, careful about, like, what, how he decided to deliver certain things. And um, even though he was the lead, he I don't, was the background. I don't see Denzel as an action guy. Are you kidding me? That's all he did. <laughs> That's all he did. He was either a police officer or he was a soldier. Well, okay, but for, 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 like yeah, those are actors he's played. So when I think of Denzel and his acting, I don't think of action. I think more his acting is he's very good at emoting and delivering dialogue while he's emoting. Like, I'm not going to bury my son. My son is like scenes like that where all that raw emotion look at all this comes out. Look at his IMDb page and tell me that. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I know I get what you're saying. Like okay. those are characters he's plays. Yeah. Well, even even in those characters, like his selling point is acting is when he has to emote, he can just pull like some of this deep reservoir of emotion <laughs> and pull it out. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like I, I know I got you. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I want to make that clear that I'm not like he's equal, the equalizer. You know, he's always playing Book of Eli. No, I got you. I got he's you. An actor. He can do anything. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, in 
I just I'm saying the differences between I'm seeing between what I'm seeing in him and what I'm seeing in his son. That's what I'm saying. It just doesn't seem like it's the same type of acting style. That's what I mean. Yeah. Not that it's not amazing. They're both great. Okay. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So moving on, what have we been watching uh, this week? <laughs> well, for me. I feel like I've I've talked this whole podcast. I'll just might as well continue the trend. Um, I've was been watching. I'm a big I'm a big like nostalgia person, as y'all know. I was watching the Transformers show that just dropped on Netflix. Um, and I didn't realize it to now that it as you get I don't know if it's me. Do you guys notice a lot of um Nazi references in pop culture material when you're dealing with dealing with bad guys like as you've gotten older is it easier for you to notice those things oh, yeah. kind of like formations of soldiers standing in line and stuff like that okay because i it just hit me as i was watching this transformers cartoon that you know megatron's helmet or head looks like a luftwaffe ss helmet and stuff like that like been like I've started to notice, like, I don't know, I guess you're older and also you become aware of the world around you that you notice those references of pop culture. And viewing those things is kind of funny to me that people don't notice those ideologies anymore when we they've been ingrained in our head as a kid. Like, Star Wars, you know, Nazis, the other villains, basically, the Empire. You know, stuff like that has always been ingrained in our heads, but as a society when we're dealing with those issues in real life, we just largely ignore them and don't pay attention. So that's just me. And that's my, that was my whole web thought watching Transformers. Well, they're, they're the easiest villains. You know, they're like... That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they're the easiest villains to, yeah. mm-hmm. to draw from. So I was always wondering me as I've gotten older, like, how come people don't recognize those red flags in real life, you know, yeah. when we've been exposed to them our whole lives as children to adults. So that's just me. Interesting. Uh, I haven't really watched anything. I was just getting chewed out by my clients all week, which is cool, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess um, I was watching Fast 4 in passing. Mm-hmm. With um, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, I feel like Fast Four was the beginning of the shift for it to not being about cars anymore, because they talked a lot about um, freeing people from the justice system and uh, cartels and drug smuggling, and it wasn't so much about the cars in this one, so. Still my least favorite Fast Five movie. But not bad. Still, you know, you turn it on and watch it from noise, I guess. Mm. Rest in peace, Paul Walker. Always. Oh, and they dropped a horrible, horrible game. If you've seen it, it it looks bad. Don't play it. Um. Yeah, so this week, I started watching, well, I finished watching um, a docu-series on HBO called The Movies. 
Um, Tom Hanks executive produces like these documentaries about decades in American history. Um, and this one was specifically about movies. So I was really excited about it. And they just went through every era of filmmaking from like the 1910s all the way up to like the 2010s. And it was so interesting to see like the shifts and changes and updates to technology when it came when it comes to movie making. And they talked about the studios and the Academy Awards and the big actors of the time. And um, they also had they also had interviews with like Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Spielberg and all these other major directors who would talk about their favorite movies, which we got to see like as it was, as each episode was going on. Um, I think they left some important ones out when it came to 2010, but that's okay. Um, but they also have talked about um, black movie making and how that's advanced and all this other stuff. So it was really, really good and informative. I kind of want to go back and watch all of those old movies because they look really good. <laughs> like now that I understand what they're trying to do, it seems more appealing to me now to watch it um, and to know that, oh, what I saw in this movie came from that movie back in the day and blah, blah, blah. So like... Those homages and references. Yeah, and just how much the industry has changed. Um, people used to like go to the movie theaters and stay there for hours because you would just watch like a whole bunch of stuff because no one had anything to do. Um, <laughs> kind of like now. But um, yeah, it was like, I don't know, it was like magical and now it's kind of so businessy and we're just trying to make money and it's just I don't know it's like the art is like sticking out of movies now kind of mm-hmm. but you can still find that in independent film and stuff like that I didn't know that um Robert Redford is that his name started Sundance I had no idea that mm-hmm. he started at film festival which is dope because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the independent films came from and then it that's how it started making its way into like more mainstream like you're getting recognition from like the academy and all this stuff. So I was like, that's dope. Um, yeah, it was really cool, and it was cool to like Robert De Niro talk about like the movies he made in the early '70s and stuff. Mm. Martin Scorsese. I don't know. It was just cool. It was like a retrospective for some actors, and their actors are talking about their favorite films and stuff like that. It was just a really dope docu series. Like if you if you have time to watch it, watch it because it's so interesting. Mm. Like, talking about how film has evolved in a documentary, like, I was literally just, like, downstairs with my parents watching Turner Classic Movies, mm. and I think right now a movie called The Women is playing. It was it's done in, like, 1930 or 1940. Oh, The Women? Um, yeah, The one Not Little Women. It's just The Women. The, the it's a women, comedy. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. Um, and my mom was like, how'd they do that? And I was like, what? It's like, that. And I look up and scene is in color and I was like what do you mean it's like this whole movie is in black and white but now it's in color and I was like yeah because you know color only came out in like 1936 so it's expensive so but the artistic part of the movie was what I found interesting is that six minute sequence is a fashion show in the middle of a movie where they're just trying to look so like back then like with the expenses you were incurring making these films artistically they realized the best part to actually put in color was a fashion show which would need those colors and i thought you know that was a cool 
idea to tell a story with that sequence there. Yeah. So, even the updated version of that with uh, Meg Ryan, I saw that joint, and I was like, "Oh, it's gonna be good." Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was based on a movie that was that came out in the thirties, but they were also mm. saying how, like, back in those days, the the studios had control over what we saw, like the movies that were coming out, and then it transported, well, and then it changed into um, the directors having more control over what you saw, and then the actors, and now it's just like the reboot, the remake, like, taking movies that you know that you can make, like, three or, three or more movies off of, now that mm-hmm. is what you see now. And it's just interesting, like, how things transform and how things change, but it's like, and, I, and that's what I'm saying about, like, the artistic integrity, is like, when you have other things, other reasons of, like, making something other than just making it for the pure, like, we just want to tell the story type of vibe, it changes, like, it changes the whole industry and it changes, like, who's watching your movies also. It, like, affects so much. It affects, like, so many other factors. I, I, I think it's a mix because I do like now where there's a wide variety of movies for you to watch. Mm-hmm. And I do like back then of, you know, the artistic kind of way of doing it. Like, oh, we, we're going to, like, rotoscope or we're going to shoot on plates or that kind of thing, like the the thinking to get these shots for right now, we're like, oh, we'll just CGI it and call it a day. Like, I do like now as far as the audience are in control of who create, who become stars. Like back then it was the studio, like, oh, your contract with the studio, you're, you're a star now. You're going to do five, 20 movies at the studio for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and be famous. So it's a, it's a mix and match. Of there's good you know. changes and like bad changes of it, but yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You asked me a question. No. Do you have a question, Jermaine? Yeah, how many licks does it take to no, get the center? <laughs> well, you shouldn't have asked. Shouldn't have looks, asked. looks like we've reached the end of the show. <laughs> so weird what have you guys been listening to lately I asked all my friends but tell me no M- music yeah nothing really I'm gonna be honest nothing really I've been on an EDM vibe right now ah. yes uh, Armin Van Buren has a good song out I don't know if he's Canadian or from somewhere else. He could be Canadian. But I bet he's from somewhere else. <laughs> that was a song lap. I party with you and I'm making stallion. Ooh. What? You didn't like it? I loved it. No, I'm joking. Um, nah, bro, was Oh. I liked it. I liked it for what it was. Like I got a lot of the references that they're referencing in the movie in the video. Um, yeah. Yeah, watch the video. Like you watch the video. Have you seen the movie Bapes with Halle Berry? Nope. Yep. You haven't. Nope. If you've watched it, you would understand the whole updo vibe like that. Um. 
let's see. Yeah, just watch the movie. I mean, just watch the video. But they're yeah, no, I mean like if you the, the song itself and listen to the lyrics of the song. What do you I, think? I did both. I, I look. I'm all for like. I'm not gonna like women expect expecting sexuality. I'm all for it. Like people kind of think women empowerment. Women shouldn't be sexual because women's empowerment. Like no, if you're in for empowering women, you have to be for all aspects of it. If they want to express their sexuality, they should be empowered to do so. Like I'm, I'm, I have. Like female rappers talk about that all the time. That's not so. That wasn't anything new. It was just that it was just so bland. Like there was no, like the wordplay. Was, like, was male rappers talk about that all the time. No, I understand. So, criticize a male. I can criticize a song that's by a male rapper easy. I'm just saying, this has nothing to do with them being women. It was just like, when I heard this song was dropping, I was excited because I was like, yo, Cardi B and Megan Stallion, like, that's a good old duo. Like, I'm ready for this joint to pop off. And it did not hit the way that it should have hit. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, there was. What? Like, what? That's all I got? There was no sauce or no salt? There was no sauce. There was no sprinkle. There was no pizzazz. It was just like, they did the bare minimum and was like, you know, this is about to be a summer anthem. Let's just do a popping video and it'll be all right. And I'm uh, like... But I, I think that's one of those songs where the selling point of the song isn't the song itself. The selling point of the song is the video. Like, the video helped propel the song more than they anything else. If if they had just released the song first, like as a single for or album without no like you heard it first on the radio, I don't think it would be a pack of but because there's a video to it, that video is the pizzazz, you know, that draws you in. There are some songs the video sells a song, there are some songs where the the song sells a video, you know, kind of weird a weird helix thing. I don't know. Okay, well those are my thoughts on that song. Um, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you all tonight. And we will see you next week. More film and television news. September's going to be a big month, so get ready. It's going to be a dope month. A lot of cool things are coming out. So it's going to be awesome. So get prepared for it. Atlanta Film Fest. Mm-hmm. The devil all the time, drop it on Netflix. Can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. All right. Well, <laughs> see you next week. Au revoir. Be cool, my babies. <laughs> <laughs>